minutes and just under. Massive shade from the boundary. Needs to be in Benny, that was a huge moment from the from last year's grand final. Welcome to episode five of the Chewy on Your Boot podcast, and we've got an incredible guest for you today. He's um he currently works at the Shire, but that's not his greatest achievement, I don't think. He spent nine years at Cricket Australia and also worked for AFL Victoria. Lockie Patterson, how you going, Wombat? Very Welcome. well, boys. Absolutely huge for the show. Oh, it's, a, it's a big honour to be here, actually, in the music room at Moonion. <laughs> Being able to look down on the Oval, seeing some of our greatest ever triumphs yeah, with yeah. the College Crew Club. So it's great to be here, boys. Well also, done on what you're doing. Also C-grade skipper at yeah. College Crew Club. Yep. Definitely something you missed out for the beginning, right? Yeah. Probably my biggest achievement looking after some of you blokes along yeah, the way. It's a tough, a tough one with Benny. Oh, rightio. <laughs> there we go. I don't think we've ever actually set the scene for the listeners for where we actually record. So. Oh, well, it's, it's not the greatest, greatest well, spot. But. We're looking to improve, but yeah. anyway. All right, AFL, round 21. We're getting to the business end. Friday night, the Hawks smashed the Giants in snowing conditions at Canberra. Yeah, that was probably the big talking point out of the game, really, the snow. Yeah. But um, the Giants, they were very poor, weren't they? Yeah, they were. They Was that up there with their lowest score? I think it was that certainly towards half time they hadn't scored much, so yeah, not great from the Giants. Um, Saturday, the Pies they got up by 17 points over the D's in not much of a game yeah. from all reports. Um, yeah, either team didn't score a goal for the first 20 minutes of the first quarter, I think, so that says a bit about the game. Any thoughts on that, Wombat? Uh, look, it was a pretty ordinary round of AFL footy in general, wasn't no, it? The weather yeah. had a big impact on lots of games, and we didn't see. Too many games that uh, that were real highlights of the season, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what the last couple of rounds bring. Yeah, certainly. Um, the Power, they got a percentage boosting win over the Swans that's got them into the top eight for now, so that was good for them. Yeah, and you'd think they'd almost be good chance to finish. Yeah, well, they've got the two eight. sort of semi good teams to play, so I think they'll probably finish eighth. Yep. We'll see what happens. Watch that space. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, after the Gabba, the Lions smashed the Suns after a slow start by 90, 91 points. Yeah, the Suns are just becoming that percentage-boosting team, aren't they? Well, was Get it? them at this time of the year, and it's very good. 16 losses in a row or something like yeah. that. Yeah, I think we've said that they're not great enough, so... Yeah. Um, at had or Marvel, sorry, I always say that, the... Probably the biggest talking point from the round was the Bombers going down by 104 points to the Doggies. Ridiculous. Essendon in the top eight and Bulldogs just out of it and Bulldogs have just whacked them. Well, it could have been more because in the last ten minutes they only kicked their first two or three goals. So Definitely took the foot off the pedal a bit. Yeah, and the other Saturday night game in a terrible game of footy as well. Um, Geelong won by 55 points over the... The Kangaroos. Yeah, and North with the... Got a new segment on the show, actually, the Statistic of the Week. Uh, Sponsored by our math teacher, Miss Boonberg. Yep, uh, great, big fan of the show. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, the, so the Statistic of the Week, uh, North's lowest score ever in their 95-year history. one eight fourteen. Yeah, and it's in 2019. A good, yeah, so it's very interesting. <laughs> 
Wombat's just thinking, what, why am I on this show now? <laughs> I'm just trying to work out if the statistic... I think he was trying to add it up like they do on that show on the ABS and didn't add up. So, anyway. Yeah, you, well, you're getting there, Benny. It's good. Yeah, we're rookies. So. Yeah, doing a good job. Uh, Sunday, the Saints, they won a, a close game probably by three points. Best game over. of the round, probably. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, fluctuating the, the scores. There was probably a lead changes, so good on the Saints. Yeah. Brett Ratton, he's... Doing well for them. Yep, could be a chance to keep his job there, but we'll see. Yep, see what happens. Um, the MCG, Tigers versus the Blues. The Blues did alright to stay in touch with yeah. what many regard as the Premiership favourites. So yeah, well, Richmond only kicked away in the last five minutes or so, so Carlton were sort of in the. Well, we've got a bit of. Yeah, it's alright. We've got some people coming into the music room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last game that'll provide some entertainment yeah. <laughs> with the crowd um, the Eagles won by 10 points over the Crows pretty good game as well actually um, yeah I mean the Crows I don't think they've ever really well they haven't been that. playing great footy as of late so they've done pretty well over there at Optus to yeah. get within 10 points yeah yep <laughs> well that's that's round 21 we'll have a look at the ladder Three teams hit on 15 wins with the Cats still in top spot. The Lions jump up to second and the Eagles. And then the Tigers just one game behind in fourth. Yeah, we'll be, it'll be very interesting to see how that top four well, finishes up. next week it's first versus second and third versus yeah, fourth. So a huge round, round of footy. Yep. And then fifth, the, the Pies have jumped up. The Leapfrog, the Giants who sit in sixth. And then the Bombers after... Off, off the back of that 100 point loss in 7th and Port as we said jump into the top 8 yep good to see shouldn't, you good yeah, to hear well, your thoughts on that Ben well there shouldn't be too much Bulldogs could come in but yeah won't be too much change I don't think yep so that's round 21 two left to go before finals yep It'll, yeah very interesting end of the season it's great yep. for great for AFL isn't it one bat it's very good. I'm just interested in the Bulldogs. Who do the Bulldogs have the last two rounds? They play Joey West at Canberra and then Adelaide in a potentially top eight to find. So I think there'd be a few teams within that eight getting a bit worried at the moment yeah. about the Bulldogs sneaking in because well, they're as we've seen, seen before, they came from seventh to win the Premiership in 2016. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if they can get themselves in, uh, which they're a good chance given the way GWS played... Friday night, they'd consider themselves a good chance of beating them, and if they get into that top eight, watch out, I reckon. Yeah, yep. that's a very good call. <laughs> right, that's the AFL. We'll move on to a bit of a preview of the second Ashes test, which starts on Wednesday at Lords. Yeah, looking forward to this one. Certainly As are. As I'm sure one that is. Absolutely, great place. The home of cricket, Lords again, so... It was a good effort in the first test, obviously, which we've spoken about before, but looking forward to the second test and hoping that yep. Australia can continue their dominance on, yeah. a, on a ground that they've got a really great record on. Yeah, they've got an amazingly good record at Lords, so, yeah. as we spoke about last week. Yeah. Um, just seen England's squad was released Saturday, I believe, and a couple of changes. Yeah. Leach comes in for Moeen Ali, which is yeah, it was pro- probably it's a good, it needed to happen yeah. for England, and Archer comes into the squad for Jimmy Anderson. Yeah, um, yeah that, it's not as good for Australia. Nathan Lyon would be a bit disappointed with Moeen Ali out of that squad, but... 
had to happen, I guess. And yeah, Leach obviously off the back of that ninety yeah, as night watchman against Ireland, but pretty unlucky not to be in the original squad for the first test. But I thought they brought him in as an opening batsman replacement <laughs> rather than an off spinner. Yeah. So yeah, interesting there. I think I don't know at at Lords. I think we're probably nearly favourites off the back of how well we played in the back half of last game. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens. And if we happen to get up, I don't see us not retaining the Ashes. Yeah, yeah, it would be very hard to lose from there. I would have thought 2-0 up. Yeah, look, I think it's going to be interesting. Archer will make a massive difference to that side. He's, he's, a, he's a phenomenal player, really, he's when you look at him. He's got that X factor about him. He is. He's, got the, you know, he's one of those bowlers that has the potential to get Steve Smith out, which is obviously their number one aim. At the well, that's what so. Mike Atherton's come in saying, that he won't be able to handle him or something like that. And yeah. I don't like... I, I wouldn't say that if... With Steve Smith in the form that he's in, I wouldn't say anything I don't to think motivate him. Archer's obviously good, but I don't think he's anything no one's ever seen before. Yeah, like he's but, he's quick enough, but Steve Smith's going to have faced that quick before. So yeah, well, they haven't picked him in the team yet, but you would have thought they would. Yeah, he'll be in the team. I think I think the other thing that that is in Australia's advantage is some of our better batsmen didn't perform well in the first yeah. test, and you know, Steve Smith was obviously the dominant player, but. Hopefully in this second test we can see some runs out of Warner and yeah. you know, some more from Kawaja and some of those other top order batsmen. You know they're due to fire and like, just like Riley says, they've all seen that pace before. It'll just be um, a little bit different from Test one. So yeah, yeah. We go. Don't want to rely on Smith too much because if he doesn't score runs and no one else does, it's well. Hopefully the top order can stand yeah. up alongside him. Yeah. Um, we've got a special question here from Sam Wintercook, who is soon to be married to our maths teacher again, Miss Budenberg. Yep. Um, his question is, will the prospect of a green wicket at Lords favour Australia or England more? Which is a fantastic a question. great question. And I'm not too sure, to be honest. Probably need wombat swords <laughs> on this. I, I think, um, unfortunately, the English bowling attack's been, been hampered a little bit by injuries. So Wood's out of the series, obviously. Yeah. Um, Anderson would Anderson's be great in obviously those out, Correct. So Australia at least have the the um, they have the ability to choose what they feel to be best out of a, out of a group of world class bowlers. I mean, if you've got a bowling attacking in the first test that doesn't need Stark and Hazelwood, yeah, um, and you've got the ability to change that up if if you want. I think they're in a pretty strong position. So I'd like to say Australia again. A lot will come down to the toss. So yeah, um, yeah. you know, being able to take advantage of that wicket. But I'd be uh, it would be dangerous to say it's definitely going to be a green wicket because um, we've all seen how quickly they can change colour in the lead-up to a test. So yeah. We'll yeah, probably if it is, Sid will probably still play, which is yeah. probably what he's in the squad for, and, and he'll that'll advantage with us. With Pattinson having the injury history, that he does, they could rest him, but he was he, well, there might be no change. So. Well, what Hazelwood took a few in that practice match, stuck to a couple, but bowled a bit wayward from our reports, so... Good. It's good to have a bit of competition for bowling yeah, spots. Certainly. Um, yeah, that the slope, do you see that playing a part in the game, Wombat? The much-talked about much slope at Lords. Slope. Historically, it's been a good thing for bowlers. Glenn McGrath used to love playing at Lords, obviously, with that slope, which helped him uh, immensely. I think if you're not used to it, though, it can actually be a, seems to be a bit of a hindrance to bowlers because they don't understand the effect it can have. But I think, uh, like you boys have just said, the... I doubt there's going to be any changes to Australia's squad and certainly yeah. their bowling lineup. They all performed uh, particularly well. You know, you look at Pete Siddle and um, while he didn't get a, a huge amount of wickets, he bowled a, a 
a great amount of overs and bowled tightly. Yeah, for his economy is probably his best asset. Correct. Justin Langer said his second innings bowling it was the best none for he's ever seen. So yeah. that probably says quite a bit. I think I think you'd be. Although I see some pretty good none for being captain of C grade. Yeah. <laughs> but no, you're probably right. And he's an experienced campaigner, and I I, I think they'll stick with the same lineup and yep. you know do with what's tried and tested. Yep. So yep, that's the Ashes preview, and now we're just going to have a bit of a chat with Wombat. Obviously. Very lucky to have him here as a guest on the show. I'm sure with his background, he'll have plenty of great stories to tell and it'll be very interesting for you listeners. So if you've listened till this point, keep listening. Oh, that, that's a great intro, Benny. I'm probably just a bit disappointed. I've just heard before that I'm second in line of special guest yeah. to Jimmy Fear, which is really <laughs> like, talk about upsetting your, your superiority your superiority complex, buddy. Jimmy's been in the week before, so... Well, no, we got a Pommy Gap ar- student on the floor, a former Cricket Australia employee. <laughs> <laughs> my argument is you've got to start somewhere and go up from there, so... Ah, oh, right, so you'll get Steve Merchant in next week. <laughs> to take that next step up. You might have missed that boat. <laughs> no, Steve is a great fan of the show and he's done a lot for us, so, yeah, thank you, Steve. Amazing contributor. Certainly is. Well, I don't know. What, what do you want me to talk about? I'm happy to talk about anything. Well, just interested to know, you spent nine years yep. at Cricket Australia, obviously. I'm sure you've got some great stories from that experience. So, um, yeah, just wondering if you had anything that you'd like to share. Yeah, look, I suppose uh, you're right. I had nine years. I was very, very lucky. Um, I think there's a few things you take away from it, though. Um, firstly, like it wasn't just nine years of... Um, you know, five days a week work. It was nine years, literally, of living out of suitcases with these players. So, you know, some years, just have to ask my wife now. But some years, it was it meant being away for eleven months of the year. So, yeah. Um, yeah. it was you know it was pretty substantial. And like the Australian side at the moment in England will be over there for. Well, they had the World Cup. They move on to this Ashes series now, so they'll be there for sort of four months. Yeah. Which is a big stick <coughs> to be away from home. Yeah. But um, but what it was for me was an incredible experience, and um, I suppose. Lucky in a way to be around uh, early on when some of Australia's greatest ever players were involved. So, you know, when I first started, it was uh, literally Warren, McGrath, Ponting, Hayden, Langer. Um, you know, that, the list just went on and on. Gilchrist obviously came into that list. So, some of those players that we now consider to be Australia's greatest ever in terms of batting, bowling, wicketkeeping, captaincy were the people that I started with, um, and that was that. You know, that was quite amazing for someone. Um, you know, the most famous person that I knew at that stage was the College Crew Club A-grade captain, I suppose. <laughs> uh, it was pretty cool to walk in the door uh, and it was a great learning experience. Um, but also, apart from those people, the opportunity to see so many great places around the world. So yep. like, literally, I went to India uh, seven or eight times, England four or five times for cricket. Um, pretty much every cricket-playing country in the world, apart from Pakistan, had the opportunity to tour. So... Yeah, like an amazing experience and um, yeah, like something that, you know, it, it, you know, most people that love sport and in my, I suppose in my world it was, I love getting involved in communications and media, which is why I'm so interested in what you boys are doing here because I reckon it's fantastic. But I was able to combine the two, so that, that media aspect and also a love of cricket. Um, yeah. You know, I love being involved, I'm not much good at playing it, but I love being involved in it. So it was it was like a super role, I suppose, and something that I hope I can help other people get to at the same point. So, yeah. but yeah, in terms of stories, look, lots of stuff happens on tour, obviously, yeah. and they say what happens on tour stays on tour. But, <laughs> we might um, have to. <laughs> no, no. Look, I think um, one of the stories I tell quite often, which was slightly embarrassing, but 
probably quite funny at the time. We were in Sri Lanka in 2000 and I think it was 2011, 2012, around that time anyway. And um, uh, it was around the time David Warner had started not long before and we got to Sri Lanka and so we were in a hotel in Gaul um, on the beach, which, you know, quite a few years before the tsunami had gone through and wiped yep. everything out. So this is pretty much the only hotel left and there's all these beach shacks running along the beach and every morning the support staff would get up as a group and we'd all go for a walk. It was just a good way of starting the day. Yeah. We're walking down the beach every day and there was this one fella, he was a local, and he'd follow us up and down the beach and he, he was like he was getting really close every time and he'd be <laughs> trailing us and, we'd, and like I'd be walking up the beach like quite literally with Justin Langer who was there as an assistant coach, Greg Chappell, you know, the great Greg Chappell, yeah. Andrew Hildich was there, um, you know, all these former greats that were on the coaching staff or selectors and I just thought this bloke was, you know, he was interested because he was following these. Then one day, after about the third third morning, he came up to me and he said, oh, we have a, just down the beach, about 400 metres, we have a beach shack restaurant, yeah. fresh seafood. You know, we'd love for you and your team to come down for dinner one night. Oh, yeah, righto, fair enough. Like, that's fine. Anyway, so I went and told the other support staff and they said, yeah, yeah, no worries. Like, that sounds good. We'll go and support them. And I said, I don't know why you asked me. You should have asked one of you. Righto. So, anyway, so we went down there. A couple of nights later, we get down there and... We walk into this hut and that's literally what it was. It was made of bamboo and they had this fire going in the corner and um, anyway, we sit down at this table that was made out of old drums and, and things and sit down and they came out with this menu which was sort of handwritten on a piece of paper and, uh, and, and, and a wine list, which was <laughs> like incredible. And I still remember Greg Chappell ordered a bottle of wine off the wine list and as he does it, the waiter or waiter runs out of the room and then you hear a motorbike start up and they take off to drive down <laughs> to the shop to buy the bottle of wine for our table. Anyway, but out of all, the th- thing that I couldn't work out was we're sitting in this restaurant with all these legends and the, all these staff and all they could concentrate on was me. I'm sitting there, what, what, what's all this about? Like, I can't work it out. That just doesn't make sense. Anyway, it went on and on. And then after, after a little while, they started bringing food in. It was amazing food, fresh food. Next thing you know, the, um, the waiter comes in. He says, excuse me, sir, but would you mind coming out the back here? We want to show you a few things you know, at just the restaurant. You. Yeah, just Just me you know, where we cook the seafood and, you know, how it works. And I said, oh, yeah, right. Do you want, do you want, like, do you want the others to come? And he said, no, 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 just you, sir. <laughs> anyway, so I walk out the back of this restaurant in Gaul, or restaurant, which was just a hut in Gaul. He takes me out the back, and there is this lineup of people standing there that were winding down the road. What the hell's going on here? I'm like, what's happened here? I don't understand this. And then it all started to make sense. So... As I said, David Warner had just started. These people in Sri Lanka had mistaken me for David Warner. Right? <laughs> so I'm there at this restaurant with all these people thinking David Warner's in our restaurant and obviously the word had gone around and there, seriously there was hundreds of people lined up down the street and they all had posters and playing cards and cricket bats and their cameras to take photos. And then the manager says to me, so Mr. Warner, <laughs> would you mind signing a few autographs while you're out here? And I'm just sitting there thinking, oh my God, like... What do I do? Seriously, like I had this, this moment in time where I either decided that I was going to tell them the truth and upset hundreds of yeah. people and probably have to pay for my meal or just go along with the little white lie for a little bit and make all these people happy. So I thought about it for about 10 seconds and then spent the next 45 minutes signing autographs on cigarettes <laughs> and taking photos. So there'll be all these kids now who Day won't be kids 31. anymore. Correct. Who won't be kids anymore. But they'll be growing up looking at these beautiful cricket bats they had with this fake David Warner signature <laughs> on the front of it. But um, yeah, like it's amazing. Subcontinent countries 
as soon as you put a, a tracksuit on or a hat, like a cricket Australia, they all think you're a player. So um, you get mistaken all the time. But that was probably the most famous one. Yeah. Well, hopefully you don't stumble across any of them and they mistake you for them again. <laughs> no, that's the bowl tampering. No, not now. Yeah, they'll they probably chucked that signature out. <laughs> they probably did. Or they might have used some sandpaper to sand the autograph <laughs> off in front of it. So, no, no. Just, yeah, some amazing things happened. Um, and, and I think probably the one thing you take out, like some of my best friends now are still people that I worked with either players or staff or people you meet around the world or, or you know, in terms of the journalists that I worked with in, in, in my particular role. So, um, yeah, wonderful opportunity and um, great things to strive for for lots of people. Yeah, well, you mentioned you obviously met many famous players that we know. Who, do you keep in touch with any of them? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, so the current team, uh, I think probably the only ones that were really around in a, in a sort of permanent capacity when I was involved. So, so Steve Smith... Made his debut when I was there as a as a leg spinner. Yeah, obviously a leg spinner who batted eight. Um, and, you know, didn't mind batting, but certainly wasn't at the level we see now. Bit chubby. Bit chubby, <laughs> Steve Smith with, with these big blonde tips and things. Um, obviously Peter Siddle was around at that stage, and I'm I'm very close with Sid, so I yep. speak to him a lot. Um, I'll, I'm certainly not going to profess to speaking to Steve Smith a lot these days. He's got bigger fish to fry <laughs> yeah. than some bloke he used to work with. But um, I, I did share text with him until until that time, and I haven't really bothered him since. Um, but I, so I suppose the one person I um, was working with in my role on a daily basis, really closely, was Ricky. So um, yeah. still speak to Rick a lot. He's obviously a North Melbourne supporter. Been to the footy a few times together to have a look at bit it. Bit of banter. Uh, bit of banter, yeah. So we're just talking about. Um, I, I did provide a bit of banter over the weekend about North's decision to lock in a caretaker coach so early when they got <laughs> beaten like that, and he said, "You just wait until you lock Teague in, and the same thing will happen to you." So um, we might have Ricky listening. Yeah, yeah well, you never oh, know. He's, he's a great friend of the show. Yeah. I'm sure. yeah, great friend of the show, no <laughs> doubt. Absolutely, I'll send him the link. Yeah. Um, so Rick, Much obviously, and um, to all your other mates. Oh, absolutely, and and look, you know, Mike Hussey was a um, is one of the the loveliest people you will ever meet. I think everything you think that he is when you watch him on the telly or um, when you hear him talk is exactly what he is. So I speak to him a lot and probably the one person I speak to most of all um, and, and see a lot is, um, while not a long international career, Cam White was a, um, a was a local boy, obviously, in a Victorian and we yep. shared a love of fishing and some golf and bits and pieces and we still do that to this day. So, um, yeah, um, not so much the current team, but certainly... The older team speak to them a lot, and um, yeah, I, well, you know, I value those friendships and still the things that, uh, well, the doors that they can open up for you in terms of you know opportunities yeah. for things that you need, whether it be tickets or cricket gear or you know auction items for you know fundraising events and those type of things. So very good. Yeah, some great friends to have. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully they become beneficial for others. So it's always <laughs> used to, it's always nice to use those networks to be able to help others. So yeah. yeah. Um, maybe just one last thing. Can you take us through a game day, say day one, what, what that entailed for you? Yep, yep. So games were actually the best part because they weren't as busy as the lead-up to a game. But if you like, if you use um, an Indian tour, for example, that, yep. that's the best example because there's thousands of media over there. So pretty much in the lead-up, um, on the day before a game, so a test match, you'd have a captain's press conference, which would uh, in India would mean you'd have about 400 media lined up with cameras and yep. microphones and things waiting to hear the captain speak. So my role was to organise all, all of the logistics around that. So whether, um, you know, all the logistics from advising all those people through um, email and social media and all those things of where, when, what was going to happen, and then actually setting up the venue. Um, 
But, uh, you know, the thing that gets forgotten in media management of an international team is because you're at in a different time zone and you've got... Yeah. In a cricket team, you've literally got 11 players on a field and you've got every international media person wanting access to one of those people. So in football, like, you listen to the radio at night time, 6 o'clock, and they've always got a player on the radio talking about something. That's because they've got... 18 teams of 40 players yeah. that they can choose from whereas when you're in an international cricket team you've pretty much got 11 or 12 you can choose from you've still got the same demand for content so it's a real big challenge um, particularly in the lead up to a game to be able to manage that and to drag players away with that time difference a lot of the time we'd be lying in hallways at 9 o'clock at night putting someone on breakfast radio in Australia or yeah, right. alternatively having them up at 7 o'clock trying to put them on you know, the 6 o'clock um, you know, sports today program so that was in the lead up on game day though um, so you'd, you'd go and you'd get there early you'd start doing interviews with captains and significant senior players with all the host broadcasters so that'd go for about an hour and a half or two hours before the game started during the day or the play was best time because there was nothing you could yeah, do like, just watch cricket just watch cricket yeah like you know, realistically that's yeah. what you do so you'd sit there most of the day um, a combination of being up in the press box or the media box and, and then you know sitting in the dugout with the players so really, the only time you got busy during a day was if someone was injured or if they wanted to know the relevance of someone wearing black tape on their arm or if they wanted to know why, um, you know, just those minor details, yeah. but not much during play. And then end of play, the same thing would happen as what happened at the start of day. So you'd roll out best performed player or a captain or the coach or whoever it was, and they'd go and do all the interviews for host broadcasters. So, And then a, press, a big press conference again. So at the end of each day, you have to do player of the day would go and do a press conference for however many media were there so that was pretty much day to day but game days were the best as I say it was those days outside of games that were really hectic yeah because um, you didn't have an excuse for being able to give them someone you had you had to find someone so um, and did you have fun. a few players that were pretty media shy and didn't like it when it was their turn I guess yep absolutely you did um, so there was a lot of them early on and that's part of that's part of me developing in my role I suppose was having um, develop relationships enough for them to trust you that if you yeah. said you have to go and do it that they'd agree so it was a bit easier for them in the beginning to you know piss off I don't want to do that like you know go away I'm not going to do that I've had a bad day traditionally what Australian teams have done before I got there if they had a bad day uh, 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 they used to call it a bad day buck because John Buchanan was the coach <laughs> so they'd have a bad day John Buchanan would just get rolled out and he'd do all the media yeah. he was the only one so one of the things I wanted to do in my time, and it, it, it happened, was I wanted players to start taking responsibility for their own actions. So if they had a bad day and they and the opposition were none for 300 or if they'd been rolled for 80 or whatever it might have been, someone, a player, and not just the captain, had to stand up and take responsibility. And a yep. lot of the time, to be fair to him, it was um, Shane Watson was the one that would always come and say, we've had a, we've had a shit day, no one's going to want to do it, but I'll do it for you. So he'd come and do it. And that was all part of building that um, trust with those people. And by the end of it, by the end of it, I'd be pretty. I would have been pretty comfortable in going to any player whatsoever and yeah. saying, "Look, had a bad day. We've had a good day. You, you've got to do this." And they yeah. do it without. Yeah. So you, you know, built. Too many you built that. Yeah. Says a lot about how yeah. you've obviously yeah, done well, well and built I relationships. A, I think that's key to. It's not just this job. It's any job, really. Yeah. And same as, same as that David Haynes, Haynes paints that. Same with anything in life. You get what you pay for. But yeah. it's, um, but it's about building relationships to a level where people trust you and they um, and they accept that your advice is the best advice for them at the time. So, 
And yeah. So would you tell them or guide them on what to say, or is that someone else's uh, job? No, no, no. So that was part of my job as well. But um, again, I, I, I suppose I never told them what to say. I just made sure they were aware of what was happening in the world so they didn't get caught up. So yeah. Didn't say anything that would cause a big... Yeah, so a major part of my day, um, particularly on a non-playing day, but we used to get, every morning I'd get an email which would have a summary of every news article all over the world around cricket. Yep. And so if it was Ricky doing the media that day, I'd walk in there with a list and I'd say, just to make sure you're aware, this is happening in Zimbabwe, uh, this is what Dean Jones has said in Australia about the Australian team. So he didn't get, he hated being caught by surprise. So he wanted to know everything that was happening, or just a brief bit. And Michael Clark was certainly the same. The difference with Michael was... Michael would do a lot of that himself, so he was very um, focused on getting on the internet or you know, doing his own research in the morning. I'd still give him the list, but he'd already know a lot of what I was going to tell him, yeah. whereas Rick would trust me to say, right, these are the important ones. Um, so I never told them what to say, and I don't think anyone should ever tell yeah. them what to say. It's just about making sure that they're comfortable with what's happening in the world and they're, they're as well informed as they possibly can be to make the right comments um, that they think appropriate. Yeah, and obviously you would have had a lot to do with Michael Clark. Um, yep. Obviously there's been, over the years, a bit of controversy around him. Is he quite different to how everyone else perceives him outside of cricket? Uh, no, the perception's probably... He's, he's a, a wonderfully professional... He was a wonderfully professional player and captain and he prepared himself um, amazingly well. He had a range of issues with his back and all those things which meant that he had to be... Um, uh, Selfish is a bad word, but in a lot of ways he had to be selfish to make sure that he had his body and himself right to the best, you know, the best possible shape in both body and mind that he could be to play and to lead his country. So um, he was a polarising character to some extent, um, but uh, I, I, I'm not going to say a bad word about Michael because he was um, he was wonderful for my career and he helped me along a lot. In a, you know, he he stuck up for me a lot of the time. Um, and he, uh, he certainly helped me get to where I got to. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm quite happy to say I didn't have the same relationship with Michael that I did with Ricky, and I don't yeah. now. I don't speak to Michael much. So, um, yeah. But um, look, a fantastic player and fantastic captain and amazing record. And um, yeah, but I think what you see is pretty much what yeah. Michael is. So. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, no yeah, I think that's about all we've got time for. Have yeah. you got anything else to ask our um, special guest? Been a privilege to have you, Wombat. Been get great insight for yeah. our listeners and for us, really, yeah. to hear about as a job as high profile as that in the inner sanctum of something we love the most. Yeah, so. especially um, being the young, budding sports journalist, I guess you could say, that we are. Yeah, so... Probably somewhere where we'd like to get to, I think, where yeah. he's been, so... I reckon it's great, boys. What you're doing, honestly. I reckon um, not just you, but anyone out there. One, I speak at a lot of these, at a lot of schools and those sort of things, and uh, people often say, "What's your one piece of advice around this sort of stuff?" And honestly, the best piece of advice is just to try anything, which is why I'm so well, pleased with what you're doing here. Getting yourself out there, work experience, unpaid work experience, offering to assist at anything. Um, you know, sport is a lot about, or sport, the business. And getting involved is so much about um, not what you know, it's who you know. Yep. So giving yourself that opportunity and, um, you know, it's, you know, cricket in the past, it's not so much now, but it's really a bit of a boys club and footy has certainly been the same in the time I've been involved. So, uh, again, not what you know, but who you know. And then having the, the skills to back that up makes a big difference. So I reckon um, you should be very proud of what you're doing and I hope your listenership 
continues to grow. <laughs> yeah. I'm not well, sure I'm going to help that much, or certainly not as much as Jimmy Fear anyway. So. <laughs> no, I but no, good luck with it. Yeah, thank, thank you very you. much, Wombat. Um, yeah, so I think that's all we've got time for. Thanks for coming on, Wombat, and um, yeah. See you next time. Thank you.